0: Hey guys, and welcome to the rare slot. My name is Rance and these are the bonus episodes of the Booster Pack podcast. Now, the Booster Pack, that's the show where we normally unwrap the stories and crack the mysteries of collectible games, but on these episodes we can take a little bit more of a relaxed, chilled out conversation uh, about a topic, whether that's one suggested by you guys, whether that's something I've come up with, or if it's a broader topic about CCGs or TCGs in general, or something that's going on at the time. Now. That last one, that's the reason why we're here today, because there is something going on with an old collectible card game that's been out of print for years. That is the Harry Potter trading card game, because we have somebody on today for a little bit of an interview and a little bit of information about what they're doing with that game at the moment. They've actually got a fan player group that is reviving the game through virtual sets and and, and bringing the format of the game back to life. But before we get into interviewing them, which I'm super excited to do, I sort of want to just set the scene a little bit and, and, you know, give you a little bit of a preamble, give you a little background, a little history as to uh, why player groups might do this, uh, why it's important, and and why that I, I think that it needs to continue. So, let's do a little history first. So, way back 28 years ago, collectible card games hit the market, and since then, hundreds have come out. But as you probably know very few of them survive the test of time, and most of them end up going out of print, sometimes rather quickly. But just because a manufacturer or a publisher stops caring doesn't mean their player base does. It's, these groups are still passionate about this game, and they get together on places like Discords and fan forums and even Facebook groups. And they start talking about this game that they love and and they wonder what would have happened if they got an extra set or another another expansion or if the game had continued. And eventually somebody comes up with the idea of going, hey, why don't we as a community put together new cards for ourselves? It's absolutely fascinating. And what they do is they form these cards by committee. They respond to the meta that the game had been left in when the old publisher ended up uh, disbanding them. They uh, make brand new elements to the lore or introduce elements if it's a licensed game that hadn't been introduced previously. Like this practice dates all the way back to the mid-90s. Like one of the earliest examples is the Spellfire Players group. When TSR was bought by Wizards of the Coast, they ended up having the Spellfire players disenfranchised because Wizards of the Coast didn't want to publish Spellfire anymore. So you know what the players did? At Gen Cons and conventions, they handed out stickers to one another of new cards that they had designed so they could play this game with new characters and settings and completely revive their community. Now, of course, there is one of the most famous and probably most long-enduring examples of this, which is the Star Wars CCG's Player Committee. Now, in that group, they have dozens of of sets that they've made over the years, incorporating new mechanics, answering things that Decipher had had left loose ends in, and even introducing characters from the Disney era into that universe. And they use those cards, both with the old ones and these new ones to play world championship tournaments and have convention events and all sorts of stuff, prize money and everything. Now. We have somebody, as I said, from the Harry Potter trading card game revival group today. And I think this is one of the most distinguished of these groups. When they make one of these revival sets, they are gorgeously crafted. They are meticulously planned. And they even commission brand new drawn art that has never existed for Harry Potter before for some of their cards. You know, they lead play testing, and they release these sets. Once they're done to their fans and to the, the fans of the game that end up playing them peri- like periodically and, and online in tournaments and even in-person tournaments are planned for these cards, mixing them with the old ones and creating an entire new game experience for people who love the Harry Potter trading card game. Now, that brings me to introduce my guest today. Uh, we have a key member of the Harry Potter trading card game revival group and in fact he is the lead designer of their latest virtual expansion, Prisoner of Azkaban. Now, I'm delighted to welcome to the booster pack somebody I feel like we have a lot in common with with our love with collectible games that is sammy de sammy welcome to the booster pack mate
1: hi thanks for having me i'm super excited to chat about harry potter and uh chat about the process and everything else that we're doing with our sets and whatnot and that was a phenomenal introduction uh on the history of tcgs and uh people bringing back games and whatnot that that was a great introduction well thank you
0: so much for that it's uh it's something that's i think super valuable because these games are uh, in fact just that. Just because they're no longer supported, they've, they've fallen like by the wayside, doesn't mean they can't still be played, still can't be loved. Like it is absolutely something that I cherish. I love learning these old games. I love cherishing these new games and thinking about it. And, and the work that you guys do, I think is valuable for any community to get together. So if anybody's watching this who still loves a collectible card game, go out there, try and make something like that. But anyway, back to the subject at hand, you and the Harry Potter Trading Card Game Revival Group. So before we jump into the deep end here with the, uh, with the latest set that I'm so excited to talk about, Um, I want to sort of get a background on you. Just let people know who you are. So uh, just tell me about what your relationship uh, with the Revival Group is, how you came to be in it. And also, I wouldn't mind just hearing just your history with uh, collectible games in general.
1: Uh, Yeah, so I actually started playing uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! back in the day when that was a big, uh, well, when that started. And I also started playing Pokemon, not at a tournament level or anything like that, but just for fun with friends and whatnot. And then when Harry Potter came out, uh, my parents bought me the book and I just fell in love with the story. And then the game came out and one of my best friends, uh, two years down from me, her and I started playing the game all the time um, and we became huge fans of the game. And then when it, it was discontinued and we continued playing it even when it wasn't uh, being printed, when we didn't know about the community Um, And we just really enjoyed it because Harry Potter inspired both of us in various ways, her with her artistic skills um, and a whole bunch of other things and me with some social stuff and then just story writing. Um, And then in 2017, I had found the Revival Group on Facebook and I joined it. um, And then from there kind of became more involved in various ways and became uh, one of the loudest voices in the group uh, and eventually led to uh, being in charge of creating new sets and kind of developing that process um, and leading us to where we are today with uh, sets, which is our second revival set.
0: Well, that's so exciting. Like I said, these sets look meticulously craft and everything like that. But before we jump into, uh, you know, the work that you guys have been doing with the revival sets and stuff, and, and of course, there'll be links in the description and all that sort of stuff if you want to check them out for yourself. Um, I would love for you just to give us a brief overview of, how the Harry Potter trading card game plays. Like, what is it that appeals to you about it? What is it about the, um, the mechanics that maybe differ from other collectible card games, especially popular ones, like you mentioned, like Pokemon, like Yu-Gi-Oh, like even if you're familiar with it, Magic the Gathering. Um, just to give people an idea who may not ever have played it before, what this game offers that maybe other games don't.
1: Yeah, so the biggest thing for me is just uh, being involved in the world of Harry Potter because that is my number one influence in terms of writing and my childhood. Uh, So that was really the biggest draw for me. Uh, But in terms of mechanics, uh, something that is very unique about this game is, yes, there are mana sources and you have to have certain uh, mana sources in play to do certain things, very similar to other games. But one thing that's really great about this game that I think makes it more accessible to people who may not like the high level competitive magic and Pokemon is that your turn has a base of two things that you're allowed to do, two actions and you can't do more than that. There's not infinite loops like there are in Magic, where you might be able to um, create mana uh, billions, trillions of times and do whatever you want nonstop. That game doesn't allow this. This game allows you to do two things, and that's it. It makes it simpler for people to um, access. It makes it easier to understand. It does. It makes. It keeps the gameplay a lot less complicated. Uh, there's just so many great. Things that that type of turn system presents. Um, something else that this game also does is that there are no direct uh, hidden interactions on your opponent's turn. So if you're going to do something on your opponent's turn, and currently there's only three or four cards that do that, they have to be in play so your opponent knows what is coming. You can't play all of these cancel kind of effects or interrupts, um, which I think is also nice because Many people hate when you're playing what is called a control deck, and they just say you can't play the game anymore. That's just not fun. Um, There's other ways that this game does kind of say you can't play the game, but you can always handle those, and they're never a surprise. Um, So those, I think, are the two things that make it a lot of fun for me. It's just, in my opinion, not necessarily a broken game like many other high-level TCGs end up becoming. Um, and we're gonna try our hardest to not make it become a broken game because we don't want that to happen. Uh, so that's that's just one thing that I like a lot. Um, and then, of course, as I said, just being involved in the world of Harry Potter. I love all of the spells, exploring the places and the characters, and then just the flavor of so much stuff is so on point. A lot of the times with uh, TCGs, they make up random characters or they make up random effects that just don't meld very well or seem a little off. Uh, But the um, original five sets and then our two sets, I I think are very on flavor for all the cards um, and they are just really great. And I think that having that connection between an actual game and then flavor uh, makes it just a better game in general because you can enjoy it more.
0: Well, it definitely seems way more immersive uh, as far as the Harry Potter story goes. You know, you feel like you're embodying uh, it, for those who don't know, you, you start with a, a singular wizard that you're, you're sort of representing in the game. You know um, That would be sort of like your hero card if you've played Flesh and Blood or you know uh, an, another sort of leading card if, if you've played many other collectible card games where you start with a central character. Um, and it is, it is something that I feel like the flavor of the game because it sort of does have that legacy in Magic the Gathering. It is an echo of that. And Harry Potter is a witches and wizards game there is that sort of bleed together there that I think really, really meshes well with the game. So if anybody hasn't tried it, give it an absolute go.
1: Yeah, and it also makes you feel like you can be a wizard, which is something I used to love. I mean, when I was a child, I used to run around with a robot and a wad, as I'm sure many people did, who were you know 10 years old or younger when the first books came out and you just wanted to be a wizard. And this gives you the ability to cast a spell. You can go visit various locations. You can make friends with other characters around the Harry Potter world. I mean, just being able to do that and kind of relive your childhood and dive into that fantasy world that I think helped and saved a lot of people uh, makes the game just so much better.
0: Well, to speak to that immersiveness, there is an element of almost... I wouldn't call it strict role playing, but there is an element of, you know, personal immersiveness in the game. I've noticed um, over, it, it, I believe one card in one of your previous sets and a couple of cards from the earlier game even have characters saying things on each turn. Like whether it's, I can't quite remember an example. I think it's like brilliant or something like that. Like, you know, saying magical terms or something that uh, that actually lead the player to embodying these scenarios that these cards lay out in front of them.
1: Yeah, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, And one of the examples you're talking about and the example that you said, has to do with Lockhart and I think one of his catchphrases throughout the book. Um, And it's just, it's, it's hilarious. It's a lot of fun to just constantly say what Lockhart says and to kind of be in that realm. And then also just to be annoyed by what, by what Lockhart is making you say um, because Lockhart is of course very annoying. That's fantastic.
0: So one last thing before we move on to the next sort of field of talk, Um, do you have anything that you would point to as somebody who isn't a Harry Potter fan, something that you just think as far as gameplay goes or something like that that you would, you would really just say, this is the number one reason you should try this game.
1: I think that if you, even if you don't like the uh, world of Harry Potter, you've never read it. If you just enjoy TCGs and very interesting deck building, um, I think that this game is going to really speak to you. Uh, number one, because of what I said earlier about the two action count per turn, the two things you can do and that's it. It is really going to... Uh, make you build your deck in a creative way that maybe you don't have to worry about in other TCGs where you do have an unlimited number of things to do. Uh, The second thing that is very interesting, and I do know of one other TCG that functions in this way, uh, but this was my first introduction to it, is that you don't have a life counter in terms of the traditional here's a countdown from 8,000 or from 20 or whatever game you're playing. Your life is your deck. So it's one of the resources because obviously you need to draw cards to do things. But at the same time, when your deck is gone, you lose. Um, And that also forces you to play in a different way. Do I want to draw extra cards, which you can just do for one of your two actions on a turn? um, Or is my deck getting too low and I can't risk it? And I think that because that is so different from other TCGs, that also really influences the way that you play. Uh, so I think those are just two parts of the game that are very interesting, that if you are just a creative deck builder or you like really interesting mechanics, that is going to pull you in and be very different from Magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, or any of the big ones that, that everybody has played.
0: So yeah, so that's, that's something, uh, I think you made a really good point there about the, the, the life decking that Harry Potter has, where you're discarding cards to represent how much you know, knowledge or energy or, or you know, power you have left to continue playing. Um, something you pulled out before was it doesn't have those off-turn interactions like Magic's Instance or Yu-Gi-Oh's um, a Lightning a, a Quick Play a Spell Effects or whatever. It's been a couple of years since I played that.
1: <laughs> Same for me.
0: <laughs> and it also doesn't have those um, those constant like drawing mechanics that will just completely draw a ton of things, things that Magic's Blue Color is known for, something that's so valuable in Yu-Gi-Oh as well. It is really, um, not that it's a casual game, but it really does step back from that sort of, as TCG parlance would have us believe spike sort of style of design and bring it into that more like like you said deck building Johnny sort of atmosphere so I do recommend if you even if you're not a Harry Potter fan but you like those other major uh, TCGs and stuff like that or even like the idea of uh of life decking or trying that out definitely try and look into this uh Harry Potter game now that sort of brings me to uh the group itself like the what what is the Harry Potter revival group what are its goals and and you know, I guess we've sort of mentioned it, but what's your place in it per se?
1: Yeah. So the goal of the group is just to create an atmosphere and, and an environment where people can come together and play and relive this game or be introduced to it and make new friends. Uh, that That's what we really want to do is just provide that opportunity. And we do that via virtual tournaments. We do it via our Discord, Facebook. And then we also do that uh, via in-person tournaments as well at Gen Con and at PAX Unplugged. Um, So we just really want that to be the focus, making friends and that kind of thing. Um, And I've made some friends through the group. I know know other people have as well. Um, I know some people uh, who have drawn artwork for us who have actually gotten commissions from other people to draw artwork for them. And so it's been a really great way for people to, yeah, it's been a great way to connect and people just to kind of grow uh, either their professional circle, their social circle. It's just that's the goal is to bring back Harry Potter in this positive way um, and in this game and bring people together
0: I was gonna say it's just awesome that you're facilitating this new community that um, that may not have existed you know uh, for the Harry Potter game in the same way that it did way back in in you know the early 2000s or whatnot um, and I think it's great that you guys are, are forging connections and and you mentioned obviously online tournaments and stuff like that so people can sort of dive in without I guess, obviously, all the cards are digital. They don't really need to invest any big, large sums of money. All of these cards are, as we said, virtual sets. So so it is entirely accessible to somebody brand new. And I assume that you you know would have people who would volunteer to teach people how to play over online and stuff like that.
1: Oh, yeah. Our Discord uh, is quite active, especially around re- release time like it is right now. Uh, but we have a separate channel for casual play. And if somebody wants to learn and they post in there, there are tons of people who just jump in and they say, yeah, I can teach you. We play on these different platforms, Lackey or Untap, and we can teach you the game. We can walk you through it. Uh, There's actually somebody, I don't know uh, what exactly his name is. Uh, I think Zarth Barn is his YouTube name, and he created a how-to-play video um, of the game, that is the best one I have ever seen, and it goes through with great images, great pictures. It walks through everything. He talked to the revival team to make sure that what he was saying was correct and the order of things was correct. So there's all these resources out there that we've tried to compile that people have just made because they love the game, um, and so it's very accessible for a new person to play. Um, but if a new person does want to play, I recommend joining the Discord just because it's difficult to connect over a Facebook group uh, where people focus a little more on like buying and selling than necessarily playing. And then also in our Discord, we have voice channels and whatnot. So if you wanna jump on uh, voice with somebody and play with them, it's much easier than if you're typing back and forth or something like that. Um, We also uh, have a side project that is going on. The original five sets uh, were printed, you know, back in 2001 to 2003. And we want to make this as accessible to everybody as possible. So we give away everything we make for free. Uh, you can download them. They're on these different platforms for free. And we have the side project of scanning the original five sets. So there's high definition copies of the fi- of the original five set cards. Um, and then people can download those and uh, go through various uh, proxy websites for those, um, which uh, we also remove, uh, or we, we, we add watermarks saying that, you know, these are not for sale, that kind of thing, so that people can't do that kind of stuff. Um, but we try to just make it, make it as accessible as possible in those ways. Um, I think many people have been burned by card games like Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon, where to play in the top tier events, you need to drop over $1,000 on one deck. And it's just not fun, and many people don't have that kind of money. Uh, So making this free for everybody just, I think, helps alleviate that and make people feel a little more welcomed.
0: That's awesome. So um, let's just pull those out while we're there. Um, It's great that you can basically enter the game and play, I assume you mean, in paper tournaments with just these virtual cards that are printed out.
1: Yes, yes. So when we have our virtual tournament, uh, proxies are entirely allowed um, because, again, it is all for fun. We do usually have some kind of prize, but the tournaments are all for fun. So if people want to print out the cards and bring in proxies, that can be their deck. We often will bring decks to these, people tur- to, to, to these paper tournaments that people can play with our decks if they want to. Um, and then all of the virtual tournaments are done online, so you have access to the entire card pool there as well. Um, so no matter how you want to play, if you don't want to buy the cards, if you don't want to print out the cards, we have options for you so that you can join and play with us.
0: Well, I think that's super important because obviously after, um, you know, as we said, almost 20 years of the game being out of print, uh, those cards are getting harder and harder to get. And especially in recent years where people have rediscovered these sort of games, I'm sure you, you've you seen the revival group grow at least over the last two years, uh, probably exponentially, because people have rediscovered collectible card games from their past and stuff like that. Um, I think it's so valuable to offer that particular space. So uh, I know that it's very hard to find cards that, uh, that, we loved back in the day. So, people, it's a good way for people to be able to cherish them. Like you said, you can use like, manifest, like proxy card making sites so you can actually have cardboard cards as well. Um, and, or even if you're just going to sticker them or whatnot, it, it's it's a fantastic way. Now, you did mention in there, I'm pretty sure I have this right, but you said five sets got released by Wizards of the Coast. So, from a Harry Potter standpoint of view, Harry Potter fan point of view, what uh, was encompassed in what Wizards released? And then let's work into what you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, uh, so we have two different formats that we've created. We have Classic, which are the original five sets that Wizards released back from 01 to 03. And then we have Revival, which is our um, original five sets plus our two sets. So those are the two formats that we currently have. Um, And when Wizards released the first five sets, they released uh, four sets that were based in book one as well as Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and Quidditch Through the Ages, if people know those two um, uh, charity books that JK wrote. wrote. Um, And then they released one set for Chamber of Secrets. And then uh, things happened and the game got discontinued. Uh, There were more sets that were created, just never uh, sent to the public. And we've seen some card images of those or what would be in those sets, I should say. Um, But yeah, so there were five, five original sets. And then we kind of picked up from where they left off in book two and tried to fill in the gaps of whatever was missed in book two. Um, Book one was pretty well covered. I don't think there was much that they didn't touch in that. Um, And they did also devote one set to Diagon Alley. So that encompasses a lot of those things. Um, And then they devoted one set to introducing... Quidditch and which it became a new lesson type uh, within the game or a new mana type within the game. Um, and so they kind of devoted two of those first four sets to those specific things. They had elements of book one within them, but they tried to really make these individual uh, things as well. Um, so there, there was everything, most things that we wanted, except for maybe like Professor Bins and uh, a few random things like that in book one or in, in the first four sets. Um, and then we picked up with Heir of Southern, which was our first revival set, uh, kind of filling in all the gaps from Chamber of Secrets. Uh, there's some stuff that we missed, obviously, um, that we either just didn't feel wasn't important enough or we have other plans for, uh, but we tried to really fill in the gaps with that.
0: Right. So that brings us up to uh, the end of the second book. And now you guys, as I mentioned in the introduction, have, uh, have released a th- the third book now as, uh, as Prisoner of Azkaban. So, um... Just before we move on to Prisoner of Azkaban, were were you yourself uh, likely involved in Air Slytherin the same way you are with Prisoner of Azkaban as a lead designer?
1: Yeah, uh, so kind of the way that everything had gotten started uh, was I was talking to the founder of the revival group, Stefan, and he and I talked and we ended up putting out uh, applications, got a design team together. And then in October of 2019, we started uh, designing um, HOS. And that took about 10 or 11 months for us to design and build and whatnot. Um, And I, uh, with that, I was also the lead designer and I was kind of setting up all of the platforms that we used to track all the data for the cards and kind of build all of that um, and just kind of do the things that a lead designer would do with that. Um, And then I just continued that into POA. Um, and also in, into the next two sets for the third book, um, which will be coming out within the next year and a half ish.
0: Well, they sound like big tasks. Like obviously you guys creating these sets from scratch you're, while the concepts and the lore and stuff already exist. Um, you guys, like I said, in the intro of making gorgeous art, if you're watching this on YouTube, you might be able to see some images and stuff like that, uh, coming up as we mentioned cards and whatnot. Um, but yeah, they look absolutely fantastic. So let's let's dive into what's happening right now. Enough enough with the history, just for the moment, uh, which hurts me to say. But we will co- we will continue <laughs> forward. What is your perspective on, as the lead designer, Prisoner of Azkaban? How did you approach that, and how long has it been in the works?
1: So I'm I'm gonna call it HOS, and then we have the POA block. Uh, Magic used this term block to describe a group of sets back in the day. Um, so I'm just gonna use that for the P, for P, POA. Um, so when we were designing HOS, there were certain things that we said we should really wait till POA because we wanted to essentially wrap up book two with one set and kind of fill in all the gaps. And then from book three, be able to jump off with our own, um, own, uh, design with that moving forward. Uh, so we wanted to do as much justice to the original five with that second HOS set. Um, so with POA, we kind of looked at, we took, I think one or two meetings and, uh, we took the entire design team, sat down and we said, what from HOS do we want to bring into this? What did we say we were going to hold over? And then how do we want to design POA? Do we want to do multiple sets? Do we want to do four sets? Like the first book had, do we want to do two sets. How should this be set up? Um, and then we also looked at what in the book is kind of set up that we can pull from and build. So all of us reread the book. And as we were rereading the book, we made essentially a running list of everything that was important from the book, uh, names, events, any stupid little thing that we found. And then we compared this list um, and we combined these three or four lists into one master list. And then we broke it down by a chapter. And then we looked at this huge list of over 330-ish cards And we said, how can we break this down further? Um, And so we ended up deciding to break it down into two large POA sets that are supposed to break around uh, chapter 12 or 13, which is about halfway through the book. Um, And then also one mini set, which will come out between the two larger sets. Um, And this way we could give a focus to the mini set and what it's going to entail. And then with the two larger sets, we could really tell the story of the third book. And if you look at the cards, you will see a lot of the key points that are brought up throughout the third book. Um, And so we kind of designed it in that way. And then we looked at it in terms of a block as well. How can we thematically tie these two sets together with um, a mechanic, with different things within the set, with keywords, that kind of stuff. Um, And then how can we also make sure that they're also different? Uh, So people will be noticing a lot of scrying uh, that's going on because of Divination and Trelawney, um, a lot of kind of setting up your deck and whatnot, and then the second set, um, if one set is looking at what you're going to do, the second set is going to look at what you already had done and kind of play with that idea a little bit. Um, And so kind of a past and a future thing. And we tried to tie that in thematically with Sirius and that whole past, what happened uh, in the past with him, what's going to happen in the future with him. Also with Harry, it ties in with the time turner. Uh, So we tried to like tie all that together. And we had a really in-depth conversation um, about that, as well as a million other things to really shape what we wanted this block to look like.
0: So that's fantastic. So let's talk about what, um, well, okay, let's, let's just pull out there for a second. Um, so just for a singular specific example, now you said you were looking at events in the book, singular items in the book, whether that's, uh, professors or whatnot. And I'm sure people will see this if they're, if they're familiar with the second book and go book and look at Air of Slytherin, but this is the new set. So can you give us a specific, maybe a card example or a favorite example of, of how, uh, you, Took uh, and looked at either an event or or something specific in the the first part that is going to appear in this new set, and and sort of designed a card around that.
1: Yeah, uh, so I think one really great example um, from I can give one from HOS and from POA, but from HOS we took the basilisk and we uh, had it petrify things on the board essentially. And then when your opponent kills the Basilisk, things are no longer petrified. Um, So we kind of took that idea and made it into this creature that did damage, but also kind of froze parts of the game. Um, And people really loved that flavor. And then with POA, uh, there's a card called Black's Break-In. And the entire idea is when uh, Sirius Black breaks into the castle um, and into the Gryffindor common room. And with that, the effect ties into uh, essentially cheating a character into play. Um, and doing something with character cards. And so we try to take that name and then match it, not not match it, but come up with an effect that either goes along with the name, um, might fill in a gap that needs to be filled in somewhere, or sometimes we have an effect and then we work uh, off of that huge list and pull a name. Uh, so that's just one example. And then the artwork reflects that as well and reflects black breaking in. And that whole situation.
0: So um, this is jumping into a little bit more of a, a design philosophy sort of conversation. I was hoping to have a little bit later, but you bring it up here, so I'll call I'll it out. So before you mentioned um, scrying because of divination. Now, just to unpack that a little bit, scrying is a term in Magic: The Gathering where you will look at the top card of your deck, and and you can choose basically if that you want that to be the next card you draw, or if you want to put it on the bottom of your deck, and, and maybe draw something else altogether, because you know that's basically looking into the future. So uh, you said that you're tying that to divination, which is something like Professor Trelawney, like obviously. Obviously, uh harry potter fans and stuff will be well and truly familiar with um are you pulling this sort of mechanic uh, sorry flavorful language in the way that ties to mechanics from other games that you've, you've experienced before in that case
1: um, in, in certain ways, so our, our design team, um, many of us come from a magic background, many of us also played Yu-Gi-Oh! back in the day, uh, so we have ideas depending on what those games did, what worked well, what was just an awful decision, um, and we try to take the things that worked really well um, and maybe adjust them in some ways. Um, This is really the only mechanic that we've really taken from another game, but most games have something where you look at the top of your deck and you decide top or bottom. Um, So this is really the only mechanic I think that you're going to see in this set uh, that really borrows from Magic or anything else. Um, We don't want this game to just become a copy and paste of another game. We do want this to remain unique. Um, So while there may be instances where something seems familiar to another game, it's not going to just use that as part of this game. Um, And then something else is there's no keywords in terms of Scry or surveil or anything like that. Um, A piece of feedback that we received before HOS was people like the game, because there's not over 100 keywords to have to memorize. Uh, So we are avoiding that. And so we just write it out. Um, But there's really only that scrying thing which is something that comes up over and over again that people are going to see Um, but even that is spelled out for people too
0: well i mean that's fantastic obviously it makes it incredibly accessible you don't have to learn like you said these multiple terms but i think i think that this brings up a, a more important part about game design in general i think it is important to use that that gameplay resonance for uh things like you know magic the gathering things that if you want to express something through flavor and they have all you know uh in a card like magic has done before you know a lot of people are familiar with magic and magic has informed so many other games so things in magic like whether you know learning is equivalent of drawing a card that's an important thing to tie in just just for the gameplay language of how collectible card games work right obviously you know you're going to spell it out in your own way but it's it it is a real way to knock down a barrier for a person coming into the game in in a new way and i and i think that, that that it's it's it's, it shouldn't be something that should be criticized. It's, it's actually something that is, uh, it, is actually quite a, a strong tool to use when designing a game like this.
1: Yeah, um, and keywords do a ton with games. I mean, if you look at Magic, they were just talking about um, a card that should have had or could have had the surveil keyword. But when you introduce those keywords, they make the game simpler for people in terms of this keyword does the specific thing, et cetera. Um, but at the same time, that keyword can be referred to on other cards And then kind of form this um this group of cards that all function based on that one thing um so there's pros and cons to it and we've given it a lot of thought and we did at one point actually consider making some of the text a keyword um but then we remembered what the community wanted and they don't want a ton of uh keywords they would rather just have it spelled out and whatnot and we don't want to go down that road um but yeah you're you're right there's this pro and con to it and you really have to weigh whether it's beneficial enough to implement or not.
0: Well, I'm really interested to hear that that's the feedback from the community because obviously, you know, um, in games like Magic, it's a lifestyle game and people, whether they would like to admit it or not, uh, love to be connected by that sort of lexicon of the game, you know, being incorporated and 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 joined together by this sort of common language that the game presents. But I think the interesting thing that makes Harry Potter unique is that a lot of people who come into this game are coming from a, from a non-TCG, CCG background. That might, of course, change with the revival group, but, you know, you've got people who want to engage with the story, engage with the flavor, and feel like they're embodying, you know, almost role-playing, as we mentioned before, these wizards and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's super interesting, uh, both pro and con but I I think the way you guys are approaching it is finding that sort of happy medium where the flavor is implied but obviously not spelled out on the cards itself
1: yeah and I I think what you said with the uh lexicon of the game that is something that magic players really bond over um I play commander once a week with a bunch of friends and when we can just say this word or this character and we all understand what it means like it, it it's a bonding experience exactly as you said. Um, And I think that Harry Potter bonds over the canon and the flavor. Like if somebody casts um, Incendio at you, uh, you kind of know what that's going to do. And you're bonding over somebody casting the spell from the first book. Um, And so there's a different kind of lexicon bonding that really comes more from the canon than the game mechanics themselves. Um, Because as you said, most of our player base are not TCG players. And if they are, they were incredibly casual players. Um, they might have played just with friends around a kitchen table, or they played with unsleeved cards like I did on a picnic table outside when it was raining. And it's just like a cardinal sin. <laughs> so everything you said is hitting it right, right on, um, right, right on point with where our community is, with what they want, and with what they expect.
0: Now let's let's jump into uh, POA because we've talked about it, and we've actually talked about what you haven't done with the set. But let's. This episode itself is coming out on the day of release for Prisoner of Azkaban. The community is going to have it in full on the day this episode airs. Um, Tell me, what are some of the things you've done with it? What are some of the most exciting things that you could not wait to show people? What are some of the mechanics? What are some of the cards? What is some of the flavor that you've just felt like you have spent the last year sitting on that you finally get to put in front of people and see how they respond to?
1: Uh, So there is a lot (laughs) that we have been wanting to tell people. There's so much.
0: I've got no way
1: to (laughs) beat. There's just so much. Uh, So there's a lot of characters that we're incredibly excited to introduce. Uh, We are bringing Fred and George back as character cards and they are gonna be beaters. And we are actually building out a new archetype of Quidditch. Um, So Quidditch right now is kind of the, um, the bad child of the... So for people who don't know, there's five lesson types, Transfiguration, Charms, Potions, Care of Magical Creatures, and then Quidditch. And Quidditch is always considered the weakest and it's always just kind of shat on over and over again. It is my favorite.
0: So I will just inject, just if people haven't connected, uh, lesson types mean like mana types. So oh, like imagine yes. you've got your five mana types, whether it's you know red, blue, uh, black, green, and white, this is the equivalent in this game of that.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, and so Quidditch is my absolute favorite. Uh, Potions is kind of creeping up there with this set because this set's introducing a lot of awesome potion cards. Um, but yeah, so I uh, we, we wanted to kind of give Quidditch something a little more than what it had. So we're introducing Fred and George's Beaters. Um, the artwork for it is beautiful. And they are going to essentially care about Quidditch items in play uh, because Quidditch cares about Quidditch stuff. Um, and so we're really excited to kind of expand on the uh, Quidditch position archetype. There's also um, some spells that, uh, that deal with that. There's already an item. Um, POA 2 may see uh, the return of another character for the Quidditch archetype. So there's a lot of cool things that we're trying to do with that position archetype. Uh, we're also introducing a brand new Cornel- uh, a brand new Argus Filch card, which is one of the most used characters in the game to get rid of adventures. Uh, his new one gets rid of events, which is a new card type. We're going to introduce more on that later.
0: Way to just drop that in there, by the way.
1: I, I, I do it all the time. Uh, We're also introducing, I think, what people are most excited about, and that is a Professor Rubius Hagrid. Um, So there's character cards in this game, and you can only have them as your starting Witcher Wizard, which is a card that um, you are essentially embodying that Witcher Wizard, and they are in play. Um, You cannot be them unless they are a Witcher Wizard, and the card designates on it those two terms. And there were two Hagrids before this set, neither of which were a Wizard, so you can never start with him. Now he's a professor, he's been freed of his crimes after Chamber of Secrets, he is a wizard again. Um, He never stopped being a wizard, but now he is canon a wizard. Um, So people were super excited, that was the first spoiler we had. Uh, We're introducing Lupin, Sirius Black, Trelawney, uh, Fudge, all of these things that I think people are just gonna be super excited for. I am super excited about them. Um, And we tried to introduce some starting characters that could replace some of the meta characters that are currently uh, out there. Because there are go-to like five or six starting characters, and we wanted to give people different options. Um, So we tried to push some of the starters a little bit, and hopefully we did enough to make them competitive in that way. Um, So characters are super exciting, and then there's just tons of uh, creatures, tons of uh, items and whatnot. You're going to get a art, which I think was spoiled a couple days ago. You get Buckbeak, which is going to be really exciting. Hermes is going to be in the set. So you get another Owl for the Owl fans out there. Um, That's going to be super fun. We are introducing our first meld of two card types. So we introduced uh, a creature item. So there are nine different card types in the game, and no cards uh, overlap those two card types. But the Monster Book of Monsters is an item and a creature. So we are introducing that, uh, which is going to be some new design space that we're exploring and I think people will love. Um, there's a lot of cool um, items. We are, uh, introduced the Firebolt was, today, was a Friday spoiler with beautiful artwork on it. Uh, other really cool items, there's passwords coming back. Passwords were this really janky gimmick where there were three passwords in one of the original sets. You played them face down and your opponent had to guess a random one. If they're correct, nothing happens. If they're wrong, bad things happen. We are introducing four new passwords that kind of all relate, um, as well as the knight that watches the Gryffindor portrait uh, while the fat lady runs away, um, a list of, so like we're introducing the password. So many things we're trying to bring back and kind of uh, introduce in new and fun ways uh, that I think people will really, really like. Um, and then we also tried to do some stuff where we called back to some previous cards. So there was a card back in, uh, I think, either Chamber of Secrets or um, Adventures of, at, at Hogwarts that was uh, Slytherin Steels. We introduced Gryffindor Steels. And we're going to try to make callbacks like that quite often to, to bridge the gap between revival sets and classic sets. And then just to bring back those fun things. Um, we're introducing a lot of new, um, a lot of new uh, keywords, including a dark keyword. We're introducing a um, a keyword for all the different um, creatures out there. We're expanding the house keywords a little bit. We're expanding the quidditch position keywords a little bit. Um, We introduced ministry with fudge. Uh, So we're introducing some some stuff to set up later and then introducing other stuff that is building on previous things. Um, So I'm just really excited about so much of this.
0: It definitely sounds like, it. I mean, I can't, I, I love hearing about this enthusiasm about it. And um, it, it almost sounds like the, with the words like foreshadowing and stuff like that, you almost sound like you're you're writing the story again from scratch. I, I love that. Now, just to call out that there, just to make a differentiation between, um, uh, maybe what people expect from the word keyword and what is actually present in this game, oh, is keyword yes. is, uh, as we discussed before, there isn't any keyword actions like there is in uh, Magic, whether it's keyword death touch or lifelink or something that means a word. Keywords are
1: essentially subtypes. So there's card types in both games and for whatever reason, Harry Potter calls their card types keywords. So when I say keywords, I'm just referring to that, that keyword that just, as you said, gives you a callback ability. Last one before we move on to the next question. We are also introducing a brand new spider card. Uh, we introduced Aragog in the in the last set, and people love the spider kind of tribe. But we're introducing a new spider uh, to hopefully try to round that out a little bit. So. That's going to be really exciting as well.
0: I do love that. And that sort of actually does bleed into where I wanted to go next because you're sort of talking about all these elements from, from the story. But obviously, you know, you've used words like foreshadowing and stuff like that. You sound like you've constrained yourself. Like you didn't mention the time Turner. you didn't mention anything that's at the very end. Dementors, you didn't really mention much at the, like all that sort of comes at the end of the third book. So tell me, if you're a fan of Harry Potter, what part of the book can you expect to see in, in, in the set called Prisoner Raskaban?
1: Uh, So you're going to see a lot of Trelawney's class. Um, There are some Quidditch cards because this is really the last book where Quidditch is huge. Uh, It kind of gets big again in book five and six, uh, but book four has very little Quidditch other than the World Cup. Um, So a lot of Trelawney's class. You're going to see a lot of stuff with the Grimm, uh, Sirius Black doing his um, stuff all over the place. Um, You're going to see a lot of stuff before they get to Hogwarts, like stuff um, eavesdropping on the Weasleys as one card, um, as well as the um, Weasleys going on vacation to Egypt. You're going to see some of that stuff. You're going to see Aunt Marge on a spell card being blown up uh, with beautiful art by one of the fan-favorite artists. Um, You're going to see also a lot of uh, just random things that they do around Hogwarts all the time. Uh, leading up to before um, have the halfway point of the book, you're not going to see Hogsmeade in this set other than just one card, um, and that's at the Three Broomsticks, which we spoiled a couple of days ago. Other than that, Hogsmeade is not in the set, so if you're expecting uh, Zonko's or the One-Eyed Witch Hump Statue or any of those things, you're going to have to wait uh, for that to come out.
0: That's, um, that's, I'm sure very exciting to hear for some people, but also very frustrating because I'm sure people love that sort of stuff, uh, in, in, in that story. Now you do bring up an interesting point here now in game design philosophy, um, there is uh in trading card games this thing called bottom up and top down so I'm pretty sure you'd be familiar with it but just for anybody who doesn't uh bottom up design means uh the mechanics come first and then flavor is affixed to the card uh this happens a lot in magic you know with things like things that are necessary for the for the gameplay of the game whether it's uh uh, what they call a kill spell which is destroying creatures um there's also things like uh bottom uh top down which is hey, we'll take the title first and make something cool, craft something cool around it. Like, you know, uh, debatably, things like lightning bolt, which is a thing that just strikes something for three damage is a top-down spell because it's just like, hey, look, what would a lightning bolt do? It would hurt you. Great example of that. Um, A lot of early magic is top-down, you know. Uh, How do you approach a thing where you really have to stick to the lore that people expect? How do you approach top-down and bottom-up? Obviously, you mentioned there is a lot of... uh, uh, top-down design where you've taken something and you've, you've, you've looked at it and carefully crafted it like the basilisk you mentioned earlier, how do you find something that the meta needs and incorporate that into a theme that already exists in Harry Potter's lore?
1: Uh, it is not easy and it often leads to very long calls with the design team arguing over <laughs> what should go on what card and how things should be balanced and what actually needs to be addressed and not addressed. Um, and so the, the entire block as a whole did start with looking at the book as a whole and then parsing it down from there. Um, while we were doing that, we also did have, um, we, we look at the tournament data that we have, we look at the top decks, we look at the decks that maybe are the most um, abusive toward other people or the biggest uh, control decks, that kind of thing. And we have conversations and we say, okay, this deck is doing this thing uh, is there a way that we can kind of slow it down or that we can kind of shift what it does or how it has to interact with the opponent? Um, or we look at a deck that we want to make a little better, but just can't perform with what currently exists. Uh, and we say, how can we make this a little stronger? Um, a great example is spiders. The spider tribe right now, there is just not enough spiders that are good enough, uh, to make a full deck with. So we decided to say, um, Let's make a new spider card. Let's fill in this gap to try to bring up this deck. And there's nothing really specifically in this book about spiders, um, but there was enough precedent from HOS um, and Chamber of Secrets that we could just say that there's this spider um, and there's gonna be really great artwork for that as well. Um, and so we kind of filled in the gaps that way. So it's a real mixture of both of those design um, ideas uh, really depending on what we need to do. Um, most of the time we do start with a card name and we build down from the card name. Um, that that's how most of the cards are designed. If somebody does have a really great idea, they kind of look through all the card names and think of which one does this fit with. Um, but for the most part, we'll look at a card name and we'll say, what does this place do? What does this spell do? How can we build it from there? Um, so, it's, it, it differs between all the different cards, but for the most part, we always go from the name to the effect.
0: Okay, cool. So, I would assume uh, obviously you would lean into top down design more for things that are so iconic in the story, you know, whether it is serious or something like that. I, the the stronger something is in the story, it is, it is obviously going to play into it. But you, know, you mentioned a card before three Bloomsticks. Obviously, that could almost represent anything that the, that the design space pretty much needs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating in, um, in philosophy of IP-driven design that you, you can find these same spaces that we have in, uh, you know, games like Magic the Gathering, games like Pokemon, where they almost have free license to sort of create what they need for the game when they need it. Um, so, uh, if you're happy to continue talking about design philosophy for a second, because um, I, I really think that this is an interesting point and really does bring a lot of validation to this, uh, this set, because you guys have obviously thought very deeply about it um it isn't something that you know uh, just uh, a bunch of fans have thrown together and be like hey wouldn't this be cool wouldn't be this be cool um it's something that you guys have have obviously meditated on you've you've you have you know torn it apart you've thought about how you're going to introduce it into the gameplay environment and into the the way that the fans engage with the game um i will jump back to what i want to talk about right now because i think this is a good part to talk about um Play testing. So how do you guys assure that the community, once they get these cards, aren't going to be disappointed by the fact that, you know, there's even less starting characters that are viable now. There's even less strategy and stuff like that. How do you ensure that there's nothing that in the parlance, again, of... TCGs and CCGs that is broken, so to speak. Like, tell me about the process that you guys go through as a design team.
1: Um, So there is no guaranteed way to make sure that something is going to be liked, hated, or not break the game. Um, We do try to look at the existing games. uh, Like, Magic is a big one. um, And we look at what has broken the game. Uh, What are bad design decisions in any of the TCGs ever created? What has just not worked? How can we avoid that or do it differently in a more balanced way? Um, So when we're we're designing card effects, we usually keep that in mind. Um, And then uh, in terms of play testing, so our design team has uh, five to six people on it and we are all very different types of players. We all have different backgrounds and whatnot. And some of us are very uh, aggressive and want to push effects where they do become broken. And then some of us tend to be very conservative and want to underpower cards. Um, And I tend to fall on that that realm of things. So things seem underpowered just because I was advocating too much. Um, And so we try to, with these extremely different uh, design uh, perspectives, we usually land somewhere in the middle that is a really balanced card. Um, And then we go through playtesting with each other, Um, we go through playtesting in a vacuum of specific cards with the entire set. Um, We build cards into the top uh, decks that we see in in the tournaments, and we replace a card. So for like Black's Break, and like like, like I mentioned earlier, we'll throw that into a character deck, which already runs the color that it is, um, and we will see if it improves the deck, does it hinder the deck. Um, and we'll play it against a deck uh, that, number one, would do really well against that type of deck, and then another deck that would do really poor against it. And test them in different ways like that. Provide feedback, and then we'll have, like, a four-hour call where we discuss this. And we balance it, we adjust things, and then we try again. Um, sometimes we hit the nail on the head, and we don't have to really test play uh, more than a couple of times, and the card is really balanced, it works really well, it's not going to break anything. Um, so. It kind of varies. Uh, we also try to sometimes design some cards to be more cube cards. So if you like a sealed environment where you're drafting, there are some cards that fit well into there. Not not a ton, but there are some that do fit into there. Um, and then we design most cards to work in a larger format, uh, which is what everybody usually plays. Uh, but we try to do a little bit of both. Um, but it is definitely a lot of play testing that has to go into it. Um, and then A lot of uh, considering how the game was designed and built in the first place. It was built 20 years ago uh, when TCGs in general were worded very differently and so we have actually started to create um, a color wheel of sorts uh, which is essentially take the five colors of the game, how do they relate, what do they have in common, um, what do they have that are opposites of each other, And we tried um, with HOS and POA to really uh, lean on that color wheel and try to strengthen it. Um, And we try not to go out of that because if you start breaking a color wheel, that's often when things start to get broken in terms of a card effect, Uh, mainly because colors are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, And then how do you balance something that has never done something before? Um, It just is this very difficult place uh so we do a lot of that stuff we have conversations about that quite often
0: so uh, again just to call out there obviously when you're referring to color type you're talking about the lesson types that are in the game you know the ones we mentioned before sorry yes each one of those had sort of a a card type in the game already from my understanding like you know potions lent into locations or quiddish obviously lent into match type cards and all that and spells was uh i yes Charms. transfiguration yep, yep. and obviously care for magical creatures was creatures um so all this sort of stuff sort of was there was threads of this but you guys are solidifying it in that sort of uh in that sort of way that, that other card games do where certain resources will lean into other things whether that's card draw or you know creature destruction
1: or whatever we're trying to the game had a lot of holes in it uh just things that necessarily weren't filled out in the way that they should have been or just weren't as black and white. Uh, so we're trying to fill in those gaps. Uh, I think we're doing a decent job with it. Um, we're also trying to stick, we, we have ideas for where we want to go, what we want to do. And I think uh, thinking out in the long-term is helping us to design better card effects uh, because we know we might want to do this kind of thing in the future. If we create this effect now, are we going to have to worry about what it's going to do in the future when we release this card? Um, or this, this idea, whatever it happens to be. Um, so we're trying to look um, in this distant kind of thing, as well as in the vacuum of the O5 plus R2 sets, um, a bunch of different things like that.
0: That brings me to my next point. Actually, there is something I want to pull out that you mentioned there very, very briefly. Um, you mentioned cube drafting which again I, I'll define some terms for people who might not be familiar cube drafting is essentially assimilating what would be like a booster draft with a, a sealed not a sealed pool but a pool of cards that is prepared before players sit down where they look at their cards that they are dealt with in almost like a booster pack a mock booster pack and they draw one pass it on and stuff like that you guys sound like you're incorporating these sort of new revival sets to be played that way. Um, Do you want to talk to me a little bit about what decisions go into that? Obviously, this sort of is an interesting space because you have a revival set where everything exists, but you are designating rarity to certain cards so that they are able to be drafted in a way that is equivalent to those from the previous set. It's very complicated and a very interesting issue. Do you just want to sort of touch on how you've built Prisoner of Azkaban and subsequently uh, any sets after that and of course Air of Southern for this sort of limited environment.
1: Yeah, uh, so all of the cards are not going to transition well into um, uh, into a cube situation, uh, mainly because that's just not viable to have all of those cards do that. Um, we, ought, we, we sometimes create a card effect and we think this is not necessarily going to be super powerful in a 60-card constructed normal play uh, for various reasons, either because it's not fast enough for the meta, it doesn't tie into a meta deck, um, but then we think to ourselves, is there a way that we can maybe alter this effect or it would fit well into a limited environment where maybe people decide, I'm not going to put any of the meta cards in there, I'm just going to put these other cards in there. And so some, some of the cards just end up falling into that realm um, either by accident or by a tweak of the design and then on purpose. Um, and there's only one or two of us on the design team who play cube often. Uh, so we can't design cards all the time that are going to fit into that realm. But we do try once in a while.
0: So it, it does sound like a really complicated process and but also a really exciting one that I think would, will pay off if you got when you guys get to play in person tournaments and really experience these these new revival sets um, as they come out, and and I'm sure I'm sh- sure there'd be a way to do this all digitally online and stuff like that. It might be a little bit more complicated, but it does uh, it does excite me for what could be possible with these revival sets in the future. Because um, I assume I'm not a hundred percent on what happened with the original Harry Potter organized play, but I don't think that's ever been drafted or had any sort of limited sort of structure to it before in the same way that Magic the Gathering has or, or you know, Legend of the Five Rings or other games from the era?
1: Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't. And the tournament play for it was very loose uh, and there wasn't anything really organized by Wizards other than maybe an event at Gen Con. Um, and so we are trying to also build out the cube situation as well. And there are not a ton of cube players that like that limited uh, space. But we do have a channel in our Discord where people can talk about, here's my cube list. How can I make it better? Um, actually, something people talk about uh, in the cube uh, channel is how many creatures should I have? Because they are things that go into play and then deal constant damage. Um, how can I deal or how how many of these should I put in? What colors should I lean on more for a cube? Um, and then people share their cube lists. So that community is kind of growing and fostering uh, with itself. Uh, but we don't necessarily do a lot with that in terms of the revival uh, design team just because we are catering more toward general play and not that cute play. Uh, but uh, one thing that is really cool about the community and the revival team is we all are on discord and we watch the conversations that happen in the public channels. And so when people are talking about you know this would be a really cool thing to have or I would love to see this effect or I would love to see this this, card if they are talking about something more uh, flavor-wise, we are seeing all of that and sometimes we do incorporate some of that into our design. Um, so being a part of the Discord and talking about what you want to see can sometimes get you the card you want to see. Uh, maybe not exactly, but give you something along those lines to either round out your cube or do something else.
0: So that's another great incentive for people to engage in this community. Obviously, these—you uh, know—this isn't a giant corporation. These people, uh, the people who are designing this, uh, have a face, and they can talk to you and they can listen to your feedback. By all means, if 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 limited play is something that's super valuable to you and your friends, or constructive play is super something super valuable, or heck, if spiders are something super valuable, make sure your voice is heard, and you can definitely be able to uh, affect the future of the Harry Potter trading card game. Now, I will get off this—you know—very. Uh, opaque sort of design philosophy conversation in in just a moment but my my big question I guess at this point is just moving forward um the emotional resonance of the Harry Potter books is it's something that's so strong like it is something that it, it that really like you mentioned it when you were talking before people emotionally connect to Harry Potter and the way that the story flows and stuff like that is there any way that you guys think about the emotional resonance um of gameplay when you guys are trying to replicate the books and Furthermore to that, how do you plan to approach that as the source material matures? Uh,
1: So there were multiple conversations, um, multiple conversations uh, into introducing a new lesson type. So a sixth color. Um, And uh, this was debated very hotly by the design team. It was very split. Uh, We had multiple calls that each lasted Four or five hour. I mean, it was a long conversation. Uh, but one thing that it focused around was the books do start to get darker. Um, the overall tone does take that shift. How are we going to handle this? Um, and one thing that we had said was that with the current five lessons, there's not really a lesson that, that, that those darker themes fit into really well. So we wanted to create a new lesson type that would be a dark arts lesson type or something along those lines. Um, to kind of encompass all of those darker things. Um, and that, that would kind of be how we would fit darker material into the game uh, and kind of give it a silo for itself, more or less, uh, without having to tie it into all the other colors and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that, that was one of the large conversations. We decided uh, in the end against a lesson type. So we're not going to be introducing a new lesson type. Uh, mainly because from a mechanic perspective and a gameplay perspective and a balancing one, it is incredibly difficult to introduce a new color type. Um, Magic uh, introduced artifacts and uh, artifacts have become incredibly powerful in their own right. Uh, There's even stories about magic wanting to introduce a purple color at some point. Um, So we kind of took lessons that other uh, stories have told us and then also these long conversations and we decided no to that. And then the challenge became, how do we incorporate those darker things into the current five lesson types? Um, And so we decided to introduce the dark keyword. um, And we're going to tie together those darker kind of ideas with that dark keyword. Uh, That way, they can go on any lesson type. It takes uh, a bit of pressure off of us to introduce a six lesson type and have to balance that. Um, And then it also allows it to be kind of scattered about a little bit. to break up that that darkness. Uh, We also are going to try to keep the artwork uh, not necessarily this um, you know bright sun shining look but not have it be something that looks like maybe a Game of Thrones movie poster where there's a lot of blood and all that kind of stuff. Uh, We want to keep it true to that original feel of Harry Potter uh, that way, even if there are darker moments represented on cards, um, it's not necessarily this really gory situation. Um, Cause we do want to keep alive the original spirit of Harry Potter, uh, which is not going to be that super dark, uh, murderous sort of situation. Uh, we, haven't had, we have not had conversations about books six and seven, where it gets really, really dark and there's a lot happening. Uh, Cause I'm sure the deaths are going to be something that are gonna be very difficult to handle. We do have artwork for some of that, those moments already. Um, we, we will tackle that at some point, uh, but so far our approach has been to uh, use this dark keyword and kind of handle that. Um, and then in terms of just the uh, enjoyment while playing, we, uh, it seems that the canon and what we have used brings people enough joy already. Um, But there is this imbalance in some of the cards and the meta decks that makes some people not enjoy playing the game. So we introduced a ban list to try to remove some pieces that were just really detrimental to fun gameplay. Um, Just because it's fun for a small group of people does not mean that the larger community enjoys it. Uh, And so we take the feedback of people as well. If everybody is complaining about this one card making the game unfun to play, we will look at that and we will try to either put it on the ban list, restrict it, or as we did with POA, introduce cards to combat that in a much easier way than what already exists. Um, So we try to balance fun gameplay in a myriad of ways. Uh, we don't want to touch the ban list too much, because we don't really want to just become the police with that. We'd rather introduce interesting alternatives to combat it.
0: A lot. There's a lot to pull out there, but obviously, first of all, you know, you were talking about trying to solidify this color wheel or color pie or whatnot of your five lesson types, and introducing something new would uh, would make that increasingly more difficult. Because once you start to solidify that, how do you start to wedge out a new shape there? um the one thing i do want to pull out like there is obviously a huge complex conversation about banning and stuff like that but i obviously don't have the uh the personal experience with the game to dive into it so what i would like to do is get out of the weeds a little bit and talk about something that everybody can enjoy the art you mentioned it in there you don't want to really dive too deeply into the art for for, uh you know these dark bloody themes you know like uh, you know like say flesh and blood or something like that is doing at the moment but do you give me a brief overview as i mentioned in the introduction you are you are acquiring new pieces of art for this game that again you're releasing for free so obviously you're doing it at a detrimental cost for the for the community um but you're giving them this whole new way to look at the game um tell me about how you guys go about choosing art how you guys about finding artists how you guys go about um writing if such a thing exists. Art description, do you leave it up to the artist. Tell me everything you can about the way that the Harry Potter revival group goes about acquiring this original art.
1: Uh, so artwork is one of people's favorite things. Uh, we have a lot of returning artists uh, for POA, which people are very excited about. Um, some of the favorites are returning. We have some new people coming up and whatnot. Um, so the art is just a fantastic thing. Um, and the art process is probably one of the most complicated processes Uh, because we want to give as much credit to the original artists of pieces as we can. Um, So we essentially take uh, our list of cards for the upcoming set, and we have a separate document that I share out with artists um, via Google. And if they want to take on a particular card title, they are told the card title, the lesson type, and then the type of card because they need to fit the, the artwork into a particular card frame. So they need to know whether they need to uh, create a horizontal rectangle, a square, a vertical rectangle, that kind of thing. Um, so they are told that, then they uh, choose whatever card name they really enjoy. Uh, so um, the, one, the artist that spoiled uh, on Friday, Sophia, she said, I really love the Firebolt. I wanna draw the Firebolt. And she did a wonderful job drawing it. Um, and she also picked uh two other cards, one from POA1 and one from POA two that she's gonna draw. Um, so artists just pick whatever resonates with them. Um, and then I uh direct most of the artwork. Um, and then Stefan helps create the cards and then adjust some of the artwork if, if if needed in certain ways in terms of just resizing. And uh when I talk to artists about, you know, you want to draw a firebolt. okay. I don't tell them what I expect unless uh, it needs to be said because of some kind of restriction. Mainly because I don't, I want to see how other people have experienced Harry Potter. I want to see what their perception is. I want other people to see how others are viewing this world. Um, And I think that that is one of the really cool things about the community is people have these ideas from their childhood of what Harry Potter looks like. And I really just want that to come out. Uh, So when you look at these different artists, you'll see number one, they all have their own style which is really, really cool, and number two, you'll get to see how they view the world, and maybe that's a little different than how you viewed the world, um, and so, uh, essentially, there's a lot of scouring the internet for artists and current artwork, um, and I will contact an artist, and I'll say, hey, I'm part of this group, uh, we would like to use your artwork, uh, we can't pay you because we are, um, we we, we are giving everything away for free. There's no money transactions here, Um, but we would love to use your artwork. We will credit you um, and then whatnot. And people have actually reached out to some of the artists and asked for things, as I mentioned earlier. Um, And so some of the artists just said, yeah, here's my entire collection. Do whatever you want with it. Uh, Other artists have said, I will draw brand new stuff for you because I just love Harry Potter um, and they will draw new stuff for us. And then um, some artists are just like, yeah, here's one piece go ahead and use it or whatever. Um, And then we had some people from our Facebook and Discord groups reach out to me saying, I want to draw stuff. Um, And so HOS was really like collecting this group of artists um, and starting to build out this collection. And then for POA, almost all of our artists from HOS, except for maybe two or three, returned and said, I want to draw more. Um, So we also have a website called Accio.Cards, which a member of our community built, uh, which is phenomenal. And it's essentially a database of all the Harry Potter cards new and old. Um, and on this database, all of the artists get their own web webpage um, that links to all of their cards. So that is really cool as well. So artists just kind of design their own thing. They send it to me. Um, if it is uh, not up to what we need it to be, I'll give them a little bit of feedback and whatnot. And I'll say, can you try changing it a little bit? Um, if it's good to go, I'll say like, this is great. You know, Can you send me the high def version of it? Here's my email, et cetera. Um, and then we just throw everything into this giant uh, folder that we share. Um, and then as we need the art for a specific cards, we pull that down and we use it and whatnot. Um, but the artwork is one of the best pieces of the game. And I think something that pulls most people to this game just for the uh, beauty of it and that return to childhood.
0: Absolutely, I I could not agree more, and and I love the way that you're bringing this community together. Now, I do want to circle back to one of my final sort of big topics I want to touch on, and and you've sort of touched on it there. Um, the future of the Harry Potter trading card game revival group, and and where you where you guys sit, you know, you said that you haven't really discussed six or seven, but that also leaves two other huge, the two biggest, I believe, two big huge books that you have discussed and characters that I know people are going to be absolutely excited about people like Cedric Diggory, Bellatrix Lestrange, uh, the return of Voldemort himself. Um, tell us about what people can get, start getting excited for what I know it's a long way off and, and you know, potentially years in the future, but, uh, but just tease us with whatever you can about what, you guys have started to shape. Like, have you started to decide that there's going to be archetypes that characters you know are coming are going to fit into, or, or what, how do you guys approach this from a design standpoint? Uh,
1: so yeah, we we've had we've had some of these uh, discussions while designing cards. Um, uh, we we want to take so we there's so much content that we need to fit into these sets. Um, I mean the the first book covered four sets. For us to do four sets, that's probably going to be a four or five year endeavor. So if we did that for every single book, it would just be enormous, way too much. Uh, so we are trying to break this up into smaller sets in different ways. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, one thing we're doing with POA is we're going to have uh, two larger sets, bookending a mini set. Uh, and that mini set is going to focus on um, a particular place in the Harry Potter world that is big in the third book. Um, and so we are trying to do these mini sets to uh, essentially pull cards out of the main sets so that we can really fill those main sets with the larger points from the books. And then these mini sets will handle more specifics uh, um, areas of the books. Um, I uh, we, We've talked about different mini set ideas to kind of help to balance this. Um, One of them is the upcoming set that will be the next set that's released. Uh, I'm not going to say like the name of or anything. Um, One of them, I would love to do a Founders set and talk about the original Founders and talk about like the building of Hogwarts. Um, And these mini sets would be between like 15 and 25-ish cards. So super small sets. Everything has a theme that ties it together. um, And that is kind of be how we want to approach uh, the next couple of books. Uh, to break down and make it more accessible and then be able to actually release more content uh, than, you know, waiting two or three years between if we did a 300-card set. Um, we, there, there are a lot of highlights uh, that people have talked about. Again, in the Discord channel, somebody was talking about wanting more dragon cards, um, and we said there are no dragons in this set. Uh, but there are very obviously dragons in the fourth book. Uh, So there are things that are coming that I think people can see that are going to be coming that we've talked about like, yeah, we want to really help this archetype that exists, but canon wise, it's not the time, it just does not work and we can force it, obviously, like we can just interject whatever card we want and we can just make up stuff and that's, I mean, if we want to do that, that's fine, Uh, but we want to stay as true to the books as possible and not just do that in random places. Um, Another thing that we want to do uh, with mini sets, and we're actually starting a second design team. So if people are interested in joining that design team, uh, the application is on our Discord and on our Facebook page.
0: And it will be linked in the description.
1: Yes. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so the second design team, we also want to do what uh, we're kind of tentatively calling like a Lost Magic set. And they would be numbered just like one through five or whatever we end up doing. Um, And anything that doesn't fit into the main sets that we maybe just kind of leave off on purpose or that we forgot about would fall into this lost magic set. That would be a collection of everything that we can't really handle in the main sets. And then the second design team would kind of build that out and work on that. Um, So we kind of have some structural ideas for how we want to handle all of this content because there is so much content and we wanna bring in Fantastic Beasts and where to find them in terms of the book, not the movie yet, um, and build out a mini set for that. We wanna build out a mini set for Quidditch and really give it its fair shot uh, in in the game Um, and a bunch of other mini set ideas as well, a Nocturne Alley set and whatnot. Um, So we have these ideas, we have these breakdowns kind of figured out. Um, Specific cards, uh, we know that we want to expand specific keywords in larger ways. Um, You're going to see a huge expansion in POA of the Quidditch uh, positions. That will be uh, expanded upon inside POA 2, and then uh, um, Goblet of Fire 1, most likely, uh, then there's other like uh, keywords that are very popular keywords that people use in Dex without giving away too much uh, that we want to expand on as well. And we have thought like, you know, this character goes here. No questions asked. This character goes here. No questions asked. So like we, we, we have these ideas. We have separate spreadsheets with all this information kind of laid out, all these ideas to return to. Um, so there's been conversations about all of that and how to build all that in. So
0: I love that because it does, uh, I mean, I'm not 100% familiar with it, but it does sort of remind me of, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the original Wizard sort of design of Harry Potter trading card game. It it does remind me of elements of that because they had, you know, like you said, there was the the Quidditch Through the Ages set and there was the Mystical Beasts book that they drew stuff on and sort of, Hacked together these sort of like adventures in Gryffindor and uh, and you know Quidditch uh, whatever the Quidditch set was called um, all those things were sort of built into these smaller sets while the base set which I guess you could really consider the base set for book one and of course Chamber of Secrets was sort of like these big sort of compassing, you know big changes but there was these small little in between sets that really gave the meta a lot and it really helped sort of support the main story of these other two sets as well.
1: Yeah, and th- that's very close to what we're doing. We're, we, but we also want to make them much smaller than those, I think they were 80 cards each um, of, of those smaller sets that Wizards did. We, we want to make it even smaller than that. Uh, just number one, uh, so it's easier to release them um, and whatnot and that they just take certain small instances but they don't necessarily uh, stand alone as a full 90 card or 100 card set. Um, but something very similar to that, that idea is, is what we wanna do, yes.
0: Well, that's fantastic because it really gives the design team that ability to put it, sort of, again, because you're not really locked down into anything, especially in those Lost Magic sets. Um, to sort of respond to what the matter is doing, or if there's anything that's really giving you trouble, to sort of avoid doing the thing that we were talking about before, whereas policing or banning specific cards, you can respond to them.
1: Exactly, Uh, which is also part of the idea behind it. Um, And we we want to make sure that we're fostering as fun of a game as possible. Uh, So we do need to tackle everything that you just said, and these mini sets are gonna do exactly that, hopefully.
0: Isn't that the way with game design? Um, now, there is something I do want to really hit on before I sort of move into the last phase of our interview here. And that is something that you mentioned way back at the beginning of uh, of the episode. And I wasn't going to let you get away without really sort of diving deep into it. Again, this is coming out on the day of release, but can you break down what events are, what went into the the mindset of that and, and just unpack the entire experience of creating an entire new card type for for Harry Potter and how that fits into the game?
1: Yeah, uh, so it is tied very closely with the new lesson type discussion that we had. Uh, Both of these discussions happened multiple times for very long hours each. They often overlapped, um, and there were different ideas of rather than a new lesson type, is there a way that we could do a new card type that might uh, encompass these other darker themes that we want to put into the lesson type? Should we just not do anything and just keep it exactly as is? Should we introduce both? Um, So these discussions happened at the same time over and over again. Um, And so eventually came to a point where we decided the new lesson type was just not going to happen for all the reasons I mentioned. Um, And then the new card type, uh, there were certain uh, names of cards that really only fit really well on an adventure. And then we would have been creating 20 adventures. which we don't want to flood the adventure market in that kind of way. Uh, That's also not one of our favorite kinds of cards to design. Um, We do design them, uh, but we wanted to do something a little different. And then there were certain effects and there was one particular effect, uh, which is on... I forgot what the card name is right now, but essentially uh, it lets you prevent um, damage every turn up to two damage. And then after you hit 12 damage, oh, it's 12 years in in Azkaban, after you hit 12 damage, it starts providing two power um, or lessons or whatever instead of preventing this damage. And there's not really a card that has this effect that kind of turns on and off like that. Um, and it doesn't really fit well on an item or on a spell because spells don't stay in play it it feels weird on an adventure because adventures don't really do so it just wasn't a good spot for that effect and then after that effect there were even more effects where we're like this just doesn't feel like it fits on the current card types well um so it turned into this conversation of Do we just ditch these effects entirely? Do we change these card names entirely? How how do we handle this? Um, And then there were two of us who advocated very strongly, myself being one of them, for a new card type, uh, mainly because we wanted to introduce something new to the game um, and also as a way to free up the design space and be able to essentially put whatever we wanted to on it in terms of how the effect functioned, what it looked like, all that kind of stuff. So from these conversations, from these uh, weird situations of the naming not working on different cards, on the effects not really feeling like they fit on certain cards, um, and then also to give us as designers taking over kind of the release of new cards for this game, uh, a new design area that we can play in and that is kind of our own, um, the events were born. And at first we weren't sure what they were gonna be called. I actually think that um, the name was initially just called an event because we didn't know what to call it at the time. And we workshopped a bunch of names and at the end of the day event just stuck because it worked. It just worked the best. And it kind of just fit really well into like the idea of Harry Potter and like events happen and whatnot. Um, So it just worked really well. And so that was kind of born and there was some apprehension, like how do we do this? How do we balance this Uh, and whatnot? And we've seen mistakes from other card games where they introduce a new card type or whatever, and there's not enough uh, answers to it. Um, one of the infamous examples recently is snow was reintroduced into standard
0: in Magic: Gathering.
1: Yes, sorry. Uh, there was one card that uh, stopped it, and it didn't even stop it. It just entered. It just made lands enter tapped or something. So it just kind of slowed it down. Um, so we've like seen stuff like that where we said, "All right, we're going to introduce this new card type." Uh, The onus is on us to make sure that we're not going to number one overpower this and number two that we're going to provide enough ways to answer this so that it doesn't turn into this situation where everybody plays them and there's no way to get rid of them. Uh, So we introduced I believe it was three colored cards in different colors to deal with them Um, and then we introduced a colorless character uh, which is the new Filch character so that any deck can handle these. Um, and it's a very cheap way to get rid of them. After he's in play, you just use an action and you get rid of the event. Um, So we did multiple things like that uh, to try to really balance this new uh, type to make sure that it was accessible to people. We tried to write the explanation of it fairly simply so that players could access it very easily. Um, And then we are also, you'll notice on some of the cards, particularly Bogart and Sirius Black, introducing this new, um, I don't want to call it a mechanic necessarily, but this new design space of caring about the number of card types. And uh, by introducing a ninth card type, we were able to essentially give both of those cards a little more breathing room uh, for their effects to really flourish. Sirius essentially taxes the opponent one extra power cost per three card types in a graveyard. Um, So by introducing the ninth one, he can now have a little more breathing room Uh, he was going to be every two rather than every three. So it it, it just opens up so many different spaces. Uh, It resolves a lot of issues that we were having. um, And it just introduces a new thing to the game that I think is going to introduce um, a new fun way to play uh, that I think people will will really, really like.
0: Now, um, all right. So that sort of brings us to almost the end. I I do want to ask basically uh, your advice, your personal advice, somebody who's so engaged with the community. What is your advice as somebody... uh, who is who is uh, you know a leader and, and and a high person in this community two people who want to get into it what what do uh, players do to sort of find out about Harry Potter like where do they where do they go um, what resources do you guys offer and and ultimately do you guys have events and things coming up in the near future like what what is it that uh that you guys are providing for these new players to sort of enter the game
1: so we are on i believe pretty much every social media platform except for like snapchat and tiktok uh, at this point Um, so you can find us on any of those platforms uh and we post a lot of stuff to facebook and discord uh instagram and twitter are used uh once in a while um but you can find us on any of those which is great Um, We also will uh, usually we've hosted events at Gen Con um, every single year and Gen Con didn't happen uh, the past two years because of the pandemic and whatnot, uh, but we plan to be back in 2022 as long as uh, the situation is safe and whatnot. So we are at Gen Con every year, uh, PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia every year we plan to be at, and then uh, we had our first virtual tournament back in May. And it went really, really well. We had over thirty people uh, who played in it worldwide, um, and uh, we are planning on doing more of those tournaments. There should be one coming up within the next month or two uh, um, online again. Uh, then there's also a weekly event. There's multiple events actually throughout the month and throughout the week. We host. Um, we we actually have a, a member who started a Wizarding Wars event on Tuesday night. Um, so it's Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Discord. Uh, there's also one hosted by somebody from Europe, uh, which I believe is 7 o'clock once a month on a Wednesday, uh, British time. Uh, then there's other content creators who host their own events um, at Mountain Time. Uh, and they usually do stuff via webcam as opposed to virtual like we do over like on Tap or Lacky. Um, and so there's different platforms like that. Um, and all of those are listed on uh, what we have created is a Google folder, which is pinned in our Facebook group and our Discord channel. And this Google folder has as many resources as we can compile into it. Uh, there's a beginning navigation uh, document that then links to everything else in the folder. We put all of our deck lists in this folder. So any deck lists used during the tournaments, during our Tuesday night events, we post in there as either revival or classic formats. Um, this folder also has the how, how to play video link. Um, it just has a ton, a ton of useful links for people, um, as well as links to con- all the content creators that we know about. Uh, so if people want to watch them, they can see that, um, and a whole bunch of other useful links as well.
0: That's fantastic. It sounds like there's so much to uh, even to a new player or somebody who is completely uninitiated in the game itself but just loves Harry Potter or even vice versa. Somebody who loves games but doesn't even care about Harry Potter. It sounds it sounds like there's so many avenues to go down and so many ways to engage with the game. Casual, competitive, um, you know, basic, you know, just even content creators you mentioned. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure there is as many links as I can find in the description for these episodes, whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're listening to the podcast, you'll be able to find Tons of the resources that uh, the Harry Potter Trading Card Game Revival Group is offering to you and jump down it. Like it is, it is a game I played years ago and I, and I loved it. And it's definitely in these recent years, these new, watching these new sets come out, I've I got to be honest, my enthusiasm is at literally an all-time high and I was a pretty big Harry Potter kid. So that's about it for another episode of the Rare Slot Booster Pack episode. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you uh, from you, uh, Sammy.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate this so much. This was a lot of fun. It
0: was a ton of fun. And I loved hearing about some of the design philosophy going into it. Like I said, this is more than just a couple of people making cards for their group. This is thought about, executed, like just like probably even more so some collectible card games that are on the market nowadays. So thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out the Harry Potter Revival group, whether it's on Discord, Facebook, or any other links that you can find. And even if it just takes, jump on Accio cards. It's like a Scryfall or an Index or a Pokédex for all the cards and just look through them to see if it's your sort of thing because it really does embody that sort of Harry Potter era that we really didn't get much long of, which was just like what the books promised us. Like we were soon given the movies and everything like that. But this game is basically this safe haven for everything the books offer that maybe the movies didn't give us. So thank you so much for joining us. Again, it has been another episode of The Booster Pack. And until next time, Keep shuffling. And there you have it. Another bonus episode of the booster pack, the rare slot. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much to Sammy for joining us for that entire episode and telling us those amazing insightful stories into what goes into making a Harry Potter trading card game revival set. I mean, if you weren't convinced that they have got the best gameplay philosophies in mind and are looking out for the players of the game I mean, I don't know what to say. I can't convince you any more than what we just saw because I've been convinced that they are actually making probably what is one of the smartest designed revival virtual sets that I have seen in a long time. Now, with all that said, check the links in the description below. Even, just, even if it's something so simple to jump onto Accio cards and just flick through what wizards made available and what they've made available you can find a full set list there you can just find like the arts for the cards if you like harry potter in any way that's probably a great place to start but even if you like trading card games just in general but don't care for harry potter this is probably a great place to start as well and then start exploring other things like you know the lists that we've mentioned in the episode uh, about how to get started with tournaments and join the facebook or the discord that's probably the best way to contact the community and sort of be involved obviously they want to greet more people even though this game is 20 years old they want to continue to let it grow it has been absolutely fantastic so other than that i would just like to add that i have been Rands and i absolutely appreciated you joining me and of course as you would probably know if you've been watching these episodes uh i can be found on social media you can direct message me on facebook or twitter that's facebook.com slash History or twitter.com slash history, or even follow me on either of those that always helps uh of course you can subscribe to the youtube channel or or the podcast wherever you're listening to this or watching this and another thing that's really helpful as well is it check it out because we've got a new survey available about the episodes so if you want to give any feedback whether that's more games you want to hear about whether that's uh, specific conversations you want to hear about, whether it's just like comb my hair differently, let me know in that feedback survey. Or if there's a question there you don't have an answer to, just leave it blank and send it on anyway. I would love to see what you think about the show. And I should probably mention as well, we also have something more long form you can reach out on. If you want to tell me your stories from the Harry Potter trading card game, or even games you want to hear about, or any other feedback you have, and you'd be more comfortable sending an email, please do so because you can find me via the booster pack. At CCG History. And of course, that'll be linked in the description as well. So that's about it. I am totally excited to bring you our next episode, which is actually back to the regular booster pack episodes with game designer James Ernest. I am very excited for that episode. And we talk about a ton of exciting stuff. So until then, I said it once and I will inevitably say it again a second time for the episode. Keep shuffling.